Talking Animals on WMNF. I'm Duncan Strauss. My guest today is Dr. Eleanor Spicer-Rice, a North Carolina writer holding a PhD in entomology who, on this show, will largely be addressing pigeons. Wait, what? The author of Dr. Eleanor's Book of Common Ants series and co-author of Dr. Eleanor's Book of Common Spiders, both of which she discussed on this show in the past, Spicer Rice began keeping homing pigeons, now knows a great deal about them, and has clearly developed a newfound passion for those pigeons. As I wrote in an email to Spicer Rice, I really like the idea of a card-carrying entomologist going bonkers for pigeons, which is not to suggest she turn her back on bugs, not at all. In fact, while the focus of this conversation today is likely to be pigeons, we may touch on insects, and Spicer Rice has said she'd be happy to respond to listeners' questions about any and all bugs. So... Feel free to call those in, email those in, text us those, and uh, we'll get to all that when I speak with Dr. Eleanor Spicer in just a few moments here on Talking Animals on WMNF. Later in today's program, I'll, I'll speak with Karen Slifker of the Florida Wiener Dog Derby taking place this Saturday, May 7th at Curtis Hickson Waterfront Park starting at 10 a.m. A full slate of activities on a day designed to raise money for two local docks and rescues. We'll learn more about Florida Wiener Dog Derby later in today's show. Right now, though, let's talk pigeons bugs and who knows what else with Dr. Spicer Rice with a reminder that I invite you to join the conversation by calling 813-239-9663, emailing dj at wmnf.org or texting 813-433-0885. This is Dr. Eleanor Spicer Rice back on Talking Animals on WMNF. Good morning, Dr. Spicer Rice. Good morning. I'm so glad to be back. I love this show. Oh, well, thanks. Well, this show loves you, so uh, it's uh, we're super happy to have you back on. So, of course, we'll get to, to pigeons in a moment, but I want to begin by discussing insects uh, a little bit in the study of insects. I probably should have looked this up before the show, but I believe that's called entomology. You got it right. Okay, so far, so good. Entomology, that's a study of words. Okay, well, that's right. I know. And if you speak too too fast, uh, you can't tell one from the other. So, um, but all kidding aside, you took the the, the kind of study uh, all all the way. You got a PhD in entomology. So, I guess we may have talked about this before, but I'm just curious from sort of a different angle or another, maybe. What exactly propelled you uh, in traveling down that academic path all the way to the PhD in entomology? Well, I've always loved bugs. And I think that anybody who is a human and has been outside as a child probably at some point in their life has been fascinated by bugs. And I figured out as I got along in my career path and in college that insects make up 80% of life that's described on Earth, right? I mean, they're most of what's around us is bugs. And I knew that if you got still and you looked around, there'd be bugs around you, right? 
So I figured that would be the biggest bang for my buck in terms of learning about the natural world would be to learn what the bugs are around us and what they're doing. And so that's how I decided to go to graduate school and learn more about them. So I got a master's in bees and then a PhD studying ant behavior. Okay, so I guess this still, you know, so obviously you're driven by, you know, kind of this this broader worldview, but obviously intense curiosity and a longstanding passion, really, for, for bugs. Um, so then when you when you get your master's, then you go on and get your PhD. Uh, so in a field like that, I mean, isn't a PhD kind of often thought of as a, uh, a ticket to a, a notable career in academia? But that... But that doesn't seem like necessarily what you had in mind. Uh, no. So what? Well, you know, as as I learned about bugs, I realized that even though we love them as children, we're taught to fear them and to dislike them. A lot of times, I tell people what I studied, and they would say, "Gross," you know. And it's not gross. It's 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 magical. It's wonderful, and it's what's making this world run. Yeah. So I tried to find a way to help people to see that it wasn't gross. And so I started writing about bugs for people. And then I realized I could do that as a job. So that's what I do now. I, I get to write about bugs for people. And it's, it's the greatest job I can ever imagine. And that was another thing I thought about, like sort of a sequence of events, because um, as we've talked about uh, when you've been on discussing your books, I mean, you are really just a great you know, a lovely writer. So I'm also wondering, like, if if the, if the writing was kind of always along the way, like, well, I'm going to do something with writing, and meanwhile, here I am getting these advanced degrees on bugs. So chances are, I guess I'll combine that. But I I, I definitely know I want to do something with writing. Was that kind of always a compelling sort of uh, impulse along the way? Well, if I had known that any of these things that I loved existed, then yes, it definitely would have been. But I'm, I'm from a small town, and at the time, I didn't know that science writing was a, a thing. I didn't know that entomology was a thing until I left home to go to, to college. So I just kind of luckily stumbled into figuring out that the things that I love are real things in the world that people can do every day. Yeah. And I also love reading. I don't know about you, but I've feel like the more books I read, I don't mean like books about bugs, although please read my books about bugs, but I feel like more that you read of literature and about people and these old books, the better you're able to understand the world that you're living in right now. And so I, it's really great for me to be able to combine how, my love of reading and my love of bugs. And so it sounds like the 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 path, you know, although it was not prescribed, because some of these things you said you you didn't really know about until you kind of got there. Um, right. So, but uh, all kidding aside, what, what what was there a moment as you're at least you know now you have a master's and you're pursuing your PhD? Was there a time where you thought, well, maybe maybe uh, I could still do writing, but maybe I should think about getting a university job or being a professor of entomology somewhere or, I mean, was that ever kind of uh, seriously considered as, as part of the path? Yes, that was, that was my whole path going up into getting my PhD. I, I just thought that I would either work in industry or work in academia. And anybody who's been through graduate school knows that it's very, very hard to leave the academic path and strike a path of your own because you're getting trained by people who have spent their life doing this to do what they do. Yeah. And I had a wonderful PhD advisor, and he was training me to do what I do, but he wasn't thrilled that I was 
leaving that to do something completely different, you know. But, um, yeah, so I, I, I thought that that's what I was going to do. But um, I kept reading articles in the paper that really bothered me. I would see, you know, people bragging about, you know, their child killing the snake, for example. I remember there was an article in the paper, and they're like, you know, Billy Joe killed this, you know, 12-foot snake yesterday, and look how big it is. And they're celebrating somebody for killing a snake when we don't understand that the reason that we have here where I am a, a tremendous copperhead population. And we have such a, one of the reasons we have such a big copperhead population is because we're killing all the snakes, like king snakes and rat snakes, that eat copperheads. Mm. And so we don't need to celebrate these things. Let's look at it with wonder than, rather than looking at it through a, a, a lens of domination. And as I was reading these things, I thought, well, maybe I can help to change this kind of stuff. Maybe I can help write this, write these things about these things that I love and help people to stop seeing them as, as gross or frightening because they're not gross and frightening. Right. So maybe I'll write the story about why you shouldn't be doing that to all the copperheads and let me explain why and what the difference that makes to this overall snake population. Or just maybe we could just show you how beautiful the snakes are that you're killing or how neat they are or yeah. how amazing they are or how not not deadly they are yeah i mean we if once you start to pay attention to anything and this could be you know the snakes in your backyard or it could be the the dragonflies or it could be the spider living under your kitchen table if you just take a minute and stare at it for a minute you'll realize that it's doing something amazing and you'll realize that it has a place in this world and you can start to you'll never be bored if you start to learn about the world that around you right now yeah there's always something around to see yeah that sense of wonder of course i think is one of the i hope one of the through lines of this show is that you know whether it's a dog or a cat or a copperhead or a butterfly or uh, maybe even an ant um you know there are so many things to appreciate and savor about uh, all kinds of creatures large and small um or a wiener dog derby yeah, I know. Well, I mean, I'm looking forward to getting filled in on that because, you know, that uh, I'm wondering, like, do they have, like, a racing form for some of the wiener dogs? Like, how do you know which way to bet on the race? But anyway, um, so, uh, all right. So, yeah, and again, of course, meanwhile, I'm talking to you from a state that, uh, for a complicated set of reasons, actually pays people to kill snakes that, of course, are not uh, native, and that's why. But anyway, so that's a whole other complicated paying people to kill the snake, that whole situation that, that you're talking about down in the Everglades yeah. comes from people, other people who love their animals but aren't paying attention to how the animals might be interacting with the natural world, right? Yeah. They don't want to kill their snake, so they just feel better about releasing it into the wild. And then the snakes ate, what, like 95% of small mammals? In the Everglades? Is that yeah, no, it's, it's seriously a problem. And, of course, backing up a few steps from that, it's like, well, why did you get a python, you know, as a, as a, at your house to begin with uh, if you didn't kind of know? You're talking to somebody who has two dozen pigeons in her backyard right now, so I can't. No, I know, and we're going to get to the I pigeons momentarily, I promise. On, on pythons, because I don't understand the, like, wanting to have a pet snake. I think they're fascinating, and I love to look at them, and I would love to talk to a snake person to see why they would get a python to begin with. Because it's so amazing to me what we humans find connection with. Yeah. You know? Like, I found connection with, with bugs. 
for example, and I know that a lot of people think that that's strange because I, I live in a world where people tell me that I'm strange all the time. But I know that some people find connections with snakes. And they, you know, it's, it's so cool to me how much we as humans have this drive to connect with animals. Yeah. You know? Yeah, the, the the animal in question that people feel compelled to connect with obviously varies uh, in some cases widely, um, but there are a lot of people that that do feel that kind of connection, um, and and some may or may not be able to articulate it exactly, like why you know why why they why they do have snakes, for example. Um, right. I'm sure there's be a great explanation about the fascination and the kind of creature it is and the kind of look and the kind of connection to sort of prehistoric beings, but. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't have snakes on hand. I mean, we have snakes slithering around our house, but that's not really the same. And uh, so, uh, yeah, it's it is uh, interesting what what drives people towards uh, the animals they do keep in the house. So, which brings us to, uh, you have been writing books. You know, of course, we got the Dr. Eleanor's Book of Common Ants, which is actually a series of books by that title. And then we got the Dr. Eleanor's Book of Common Spiders that you co-wrote with uh, Christopher Buttle, and we talked about that on the show. Um, mm -hmm. So, in what may or may not be easy to anticipate, um, now you're totally involved with pigeons. Right. Now yeah. involved with pigeons. Well, yeah. So, okay, so how did you first... Talk about day one where it's like, what what was happening leading up to day one where you said, you know what, I've been thinking about this pigeon thing for some time, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it today. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get a pigeon or pigeons uh, and have them here at the house. Walk me through kind of the prelude to that. I didn't really have a long, like, gestation period on thinking about getting pigeons and getting pigeons. Okay, I, it was kind I of an impulse really buy. Why I got them? I have not had a long fascination with pigeons. I think they're pretty, and when you see them out, I'm from a city, a big city, but not pigeon big. You know, some cities like New York or so can accumulate a lot of pigeons. We don't have a ton of pigeons here yeah. in North Carolina where I'm from. And so I didn't know a whole lot about them, but I had just had a baby. And I think, and when somebody has a baby, they don't really think straight. I don't know <laughs> if you know a lot of people. <laughs> They're tired and they don't make any sense. Yeah, sleep deprivation is brutal. You know, so would be so cool to have this animal that would always come home. It's like you could train to come home to you. And so we went and got some pigeons. We got, we didn't know anything about them. We had to, we bought a chicken coop off of Craigslist and souped it up a little bit so that pigeons could live in it. It's since gotten become a, like a big old thing back there, but, um, and we've added on to it, but, um, you know, and then we went and picked up some pigeons and just saw how it went. And it's been one of the greatest things that I've ever done, honestly. I mean, they're, they're amazing. And so kind of learned about them as we went. So it really does sound like um, not quite an impulse buy, but sounds like it was just like, hey, here's a Saturday afternoon. Uh, instead of going to get ice cream or whatever, let's let's go get some pigeons. It was very similar to that. I mean, it took a while to get the coop or the loft ready, but um, yes, it was very similar to that. We found some the man who rears pigeons over the internet and just drove out to his, you know, place and picked up a few of them and brought them home. And again, that was just because it was the idea that. Um, I, I think it was. I think it was just this idea that you could raise. 
a creature and it will always come home to you. Yeah. And that just seemed really neat to me, especially as a new parent where I'm sitting there with these children that I know will leave me one day, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think, I think it was just this idea that, that I could, we could do this. And I, and I wanted my older son who wasn't, he was two at the time to have this, See, he's seven now, so that's how we've been keeping him for about about five years. I wanted him to be able to see what it's like for animals to grow up. We have dogs, and we have hermit crabs, but he doesn't have, you know, this is something different. You can watch the bird, you can watch them hatch, you can train things to come to you to, to sort of tame something. Yeah. You know? um, and I wanted him to have that experience, and he does have that experience now. They, 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 they recognize him, and they come to him, and... and you know, they, he has this incredible connection with these creatures. Yeah. No, that sounds like a really cool experience to have for, especially for, you know, a young young kid uh, who's now only and seven. I think a lot of us have that experience with our pets. Yeah. Maybe even the snake lovers. Right, perhaps. Well, they certainly hope it comes back if it gets loose in the house. Yeah, for sure. But, uh, yeah. all right, so this is Talking Animals on WNF. I'm Duncan Strauss. If you just tuned in, my guest is Dr. Eleanor Spicer-Rice, an entomologist, author of books about ants and spiders, who began keeping homing pigeons as we're just starting to hear and has since become passionate about pigeons. If you'd like to ask Dr. Spicer-Rice a question uh, or offer a comment about pigeons, or she's still happy to field any and all questions, I think, about insects that might you know, occur to you as we go along here, please call 813-239-9663, email dj at wmnf.org, or text 813-433-0885. So we've got... Uh, one caller holding. Let's get them involved. Hi, you're on the Talking Animals with Dr. Eleanor Spicer-Rice. Hi, Dr. Stra- Dr. Spicer. Let me ask you a question, please. Do you know anything about histoplasmosis? About histoplasmosis? Yes, ma'am. What does it have to do with? Uh, it has to do with pigeon, I guess, poop is for a better word. You mean like, bring, you know, you mean like um, when you're cleaning out the cave, the coop and the bird dropping? No, I'm, into I'm you, talking get, about a disease, get, a disease yeah, that people a, get from... Right, it's a fungal infection where you right, breathe my, in the spores. My, my, my wife's late husband died of that. Good gravy. Was your wife's late husband a pigeon keeper? He was a woofer. He was a woofer in Chicago. Oh, wow. And apparently he got histoplasmosis. There was a grapefruit-sized thing in his chest, and it killed him. Oh, Holy God. smoke. That is so I'm saying, so I just, I just, I, you said you had children and stuff. I would, you know, keep your children. Pigeons aren't very clean. Well, yeah, so you, we clean, you have to clean the coop a lot, and you need to wear a mask when you're cleaning the coop. And I'm guessing as a roofer, he had to handle their feces a lot. Oh, and, so and the buildings in Chicago, yes, ma'am. Oh, Lord, yes. And, you know, since your wife's late husband lived in Chicago, we they have really um, eliminated a lot of the pigeons because they have peregrine falcons that are coming back. Okay, and the peregrine well, falcons good. are decimating the pigeon population out there, which is really cool to, I mean, sorry for the pigeons, but it's really cool to see how that's <laughs> working because they're both quick-nesting no, birds and so yeah, I'm just. I would just let people to know about this stuff because it's bad, you know. I mean, there it was a guy bad. I knew up in up in New York, Mike Tyson. I'm sure you heard of him. Yeah, he keeps pigeons for sure. Yeah, yeah. he used to do that. I look at him; he's whacked. 
<laughs> okay. All right. Well, I think I think we're straying far. I think we may have flo- flown the coop here on the, some of this now. But, I would just like her to be aware. Of yeah. This. Well, one thing I would say, without having anywhere near the expertise that that sounds like you do, or even for sure that Doctor Spicer Rice does, is probably the pigeon poop that 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 you're describing that ended up being deadly was. Um, probably very different kind of pigeon and set of circumstances from the pigeons that Dr. Spicer Rice and her family keep in her home. And it's because you know, they clean the coops so much. Right, right? that's they what I was going to say. allow their coops not to be cleaned very often. This fungus can, can grow in them, and then people breathe it in, and then it grows in their lungs. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, well, I, I just, I just want to make you aware of that, so, you know, because you got kids and you sound like a really yeah. nice lady, so... All right. Well, that's very good. Uh, we're not, we, we warned her and everybody listening, so that that's a, that's an important public service. Thank, thank you very much. I listen to you every week, and I enjoy the hell out of your program. Thank you. Oh well, thank you. I enjoy the hell out of that nice comment. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you. And there's another thing about pigeons is like their their feces can grow this fungus, right? That can give you this, but. If pigeons had their druthers, they would be very, they like to be clean. They prefer to be clean. You can tell that something's wrong in your coop or a bird is sick if their feet are at all dirty. Because pigeons like to be kept super duper clean. Oh, wow. They, so you, they want you and you want to clean out the coop as often as you can. Preferably do a little tidying every day in there. Yeah. Yeah. But he is right. There are people who can get sick from breathing in those fungal spores if you let it. Um, if you leave it for a long time and the fungus grows in, in the poop, which I, as a roofer, which I'd never thought about in Chicago, I yeah. think it is something that people encounter a lot. You'd be exposed to it, yeah, or situations where there's no uh, thought of hygiene or, or yeah. worrying about uh, pigeon poop. All right, let's take another call. Right. Hi, you're on Talking Animals with Dr. Eleanor Spicer-Rice. Hey, how are you? Hi, how are you? <laughs> Magnificent as usual, same old wonderful Listen, I've never seen anybody with a pet snake that would come when they call it. Now, that, uh, <laughs> I've got a problem with uh, feral chickens. Like, uh, they're sort of like a little gang, about five roosters, and they they kill other roosters that, like, get within the territory there. And the babies, they're killing the babies, you know, like, and... Uh, I tried putting them in a cage and protecting them until they got bigger, but they didn't do any good. Whenever you let them go, they attack them. And uh, I'm just wondering what, what's, uh, how to get around that sort of thing. Like, I, I don't have any chickens, but I train my dog to respect other animals as much as I can and not kill them. Uh, I've been able to do that with everything except raccoons. He kills raccoons like, uh, like entertainment. Wow. <laughs> but... Uh, the situation is, with raccoons, you've got like a thing in their feces. It's a worm that, uh, when it dries up, it can be spread in the air, and it can cause people to go blind and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But uh, a dog usually keeps the raccoons away, and same thing with mine, if they've learned to respect them, even though he's mellow. But uh, how do you stop them from killing the babies? And, uh, you know, like... I hate that, you know, like uh, when they're born and the mama's around with them, then they'll come over and they'll kill the babies. 
Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll let we'll let uh, we're going to allow uh, Dr. Spice Rice to answer that. It may, it may fall out of sight of her field of expertise on pigeons, but we'll we'll see, and then we're going to keep moving. But I thank you for your call. I can tell you what my right, friends bye-bye. have done. Yeah, because they do have aggressive chicken uh, roosters can be very aggressive and territorial. And the only thing is, I've heard of my friends who've had that same situation happen is that they've had to trap the roosters and take them to farms or places where people actually want roosters. Um, once you get, even in our coop, we had a mean bird, and I asked the man, it was a male bird, I asked the man who gave us pigeons, Bruce, what to do about them, and he said, you got to get rid of the mean bird. And just like the people releasing their snakes in Florida, I thought, I cannot kill this bird. I can't do it. And so I took him far away from home, and we let him go, and was like, stay, and he came home. Because he wow. kept coming home. Because they can fly, um, you know, over a thousand miles to get home. They can figure out how to come home. And so it was just a futile attempt to, but we ended up wearing him out enough that he um, quit killing all the birds because we kept taking him so far from home. He was too tired to hurt anybody. <laughs> okay. But well, that, that's one solution. Concerned. Yeah. yeah. As far as roosters are concerned, what I know is people have done is they've trapped them and they've found places. There are people who actually take people's roosters and they might eat them. Some people eat them and some people keep them as like a shelter animal. So, Wow. You can try it. All right. Well, thank you. There you go. Let's let's give that a whirl. And we got some other callers holding, but um, I want to ask you a couple more questions before we get to another caller, maybe. Um, so, so far, what are some of the things you like most about pigeons? I mean, after spending a hunk of time with these birds, sounds like five years or thereabouts. Um, Right. Would you say that is there a predominant personality or temperament that that you could kind of identify now with pigeons? They're they're gentle, but each bird has its own personality. Okay. Birds like you more than other birds, and some birds don't. But they are extremely, extremely intelligent birds, and people don't realize that. But because pigeons are kind of like rats, and that they're you know very abundant, and people see them as a pest. So we are able to do a lot of research on them. So people have found that they have, can remember how to get home from long distances, right? Yeah. They also remember your pets, your individual birds, the individual people, and they remember this for years. They can live up to 25 years. So when you're walking down the street and you see a pigeon, that's your pigeon. You're going to see that pigeon again tomorrow because it likes to be home, and that's where it lives um, for, for many years. They showed that pigeons can learn how to recognize words. So they felt that only people could do this. It's called orthographic information. So you can teach pigeons, like they taught pigeons all these words, and they were able to recognize them from all these meaningless words. And not only that, but they could recognize what a word was, right? So wow. you see pigeons like flying around. They, can, they, they felt that people were the only people that had this ability, but pigeons can do that too. And people have been using pigeons to be service animals for years. We've been keeping them as pets for 10,000 years. And at least for the last couple of hundred years, we've been using actually longer than that since the beginning. Back in Egypt, where they came from, the pharaohs would use the pigeons to fly across the Nile to let people know that the flooding was coming. And they would use pigeons to relay the messages about the Olympics and ancient Greece. Like, we've used pigeons for, uh, like, you know, thousands of years yeah. to, to help us. 
And so, anyway, what I don't even remember what we were talking about. <laughs> well, no, uh, we, uh, we're talking about a bunch of interesting things, and one of the things that that I think prompted your your response there, I was just curious if you if you had started to see a predominant personality or temperament. And you said that they're gentle, but they each have their own personality, and they're right. highly highly intelligent. And uh, and then you said the thing about like being re- able to recognize and and respond to words. So of course, I assume that out in the coop, they're reading copies of Dr. Eleanor's book of common ants. Uh, at least when, in down, when they have downtime, yeah, at least. how they put their babies to bed. Sure. And, you know, another thing about pigeons and their babies is that they have biparental care of young. So the father and the mother take shifts sitting on the nest. So the father might, you know, sit on until 11 a.m. and then the mother comes in. And then when their babies hatch, they make this milk in their crop. The father and the mother do, and they feed their babies milk that they make in their crop. Wow. So it's cool to watch them. So they open their mouths and the babies drink the milk from their mouths. So it's really neat to watch them. They also drink, they are able to slurp up water instead of like kind of, you've ever seen like a robin sitting on your bird, you know, bird bath. You see a robin like they dip the water down their throat. Pigeons could just stick their head down and slurp up water like a, like a person. They have this really great tongue movement. Oh, that sounds cool and an interesting visual. And how often do pigeons have babies? They can have babies um, repeatedly several times a year. They can okay. have them every six to eight weeks. Wow. Mm-hmm. They have them all throughout the year. We're, we we try to keep our flock small, so we steal their eggs sometimes, right, when they have lay their eggs because we don't want to get overpopulated. But I got gotcha. you. Always sitting out there. Okay. Well, let's take another call then. Hi, you're on Talking Animals with Dr. Eleanor Spicer-Rice. Hello? Hello, it's you. I know you've been holding for a long time. Go ahead, please. Oh, that's fine. Um... A lot of things you're saying sound like uh, pigeons are related to morning doves. Um, they are. Had, okay. I thought so because they drink the same. They actually stick their beak down in the water and slurp it up as other birds pick it up and turn mm-hmm. their head up and swallow it that way. And the feeding right. thing is the same, too. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, um, also, um, morning doves, they seem to come back every year or maybe five times a year build a nest in the mm-hmm. same spot right outside. The, they're always near the house, even sometimes, you know, right on a light fixture or something like that. Mm-hmm. And right now they're they're the same. Oh, geez. Uh-oh. I think we, I'm sorry. I think we, I think the call may have dropped off. So, sorry, sorry, caller, if you want to call back, we'll, we'll get you right back on the air. I'm sorry about that. I'm not sure what happened, but I think the, I think the call dropped on, either on our end or on yours. is a good point. He raises, he, people often wonder what the difference is between pigeons and doves. And their doves and pigeons are all in this big scientific family called Columbidae, but people think of doves as being kind of smaller and more compact and pigeons as being, you know, sturdier and bigger looking. But really, you know, like those white doves that people release at ceremonies, they're just white pigeons. I've got a bunch of them out in my coop right now. They're, they're, they're doves, but they're also pigeons. So he's right. And morning doves do come back. And they're, they're about 300 species of a day. And, and in Florida, where y'all are, y'all have more than a dozen species of doves or pigeons there. Wow. Especially in the Keys, where you get that weird tropical stuff. Sure. So the, the, as you're describing some of these things and responding to some of these callers, Dr. Spicer-Rice, uh, it makes me wonder, like, even though this was kind of like spurred, it sounded like at least in part by 
uh, young son and, and an older son and just thinking, hey, wouldn't this be kind of a cool thing to expose them to and just have them watch this up close? So it was kind of a nice family thing. But also, I guess maybe just by nature and training or whatever, do you also sort of find yourself just as often looking at, looking at pigeons and what they do and what happens uh, as a scientist? I think that that's right. I think in the beginning, you know, I just watched them as pets, but then I really wanted to learn more about them. So I spent a lot of time reading about the studies that we've done on them and and what they're capable of and books about them. And then I do experiments, not like real experiments, but just watch the behavior of my own birds and compare that to what I've learned about birds. Like they say that pigeons mate for life, for example. I read that all the time. Mine don't. And no matter what flock I've had, I've got some that are having affairs all the time. And I can tell on their babies. And then they trick these males into having, you know, taking care of their own baby. You know, so there, there are things that you can see just because you're a person and, and you can watch it at home that don't, doesn't always make it through to the literature. I got scientific you. literature. Interesting. Okay, this may be our caller that we lost, so I'm going to try and put him back on the air right away. Hi, is this is this you that we lost before? Yeah. Okay, yeah. I'm so sorry about that, especially after oh, you've been yeah. holding so long. My, yeah, my apologies. Yeah. I think that was my mistake, actually. Okay, no so, problem. Um, I just want to ask one more question. Is it the same pigeon that, that keeps nesting around the house? I mean, yeah. do they live that long? They do live that long. They can live for several years. Your morning dog, uh. you mean. Morning dove. Yeah, yeah, they can live. Yeah. They can live for several years, and their babies often come back and will nest in a similar place. Yeah, mm-hmm. I thought it was the babies because they always come back to the same place, and they come around every day and just walk around on the ground. And they, you know, um, they eat the bird seed if I put it out there. So, I bet okay, they thank do. you. I bet they love the bird seed. Oh, yes, well, good luck with your with your morning doves. They're so beautiful and so oh, they are sad looking and sweet. I just love to watch those birds. Yeah, so do I. Thank you. Okay, thank you uh, sure. for calling. And sorry again about the uh, no, no abrupt problem. end, but glad you could rejoin us. Thank you. Okay, you're welcome. Bye. Bye bye. So, uh, Dr. Spicer Rice, so talking about um, coming back, so I think we've kind of established that the pigeons that you raise, the homing pigeons, they do always come back. I guess I'd be curious to know, like, what's, what's the longest stretch that they're away, and to the extent you could. Uh, know this or kind of guess or, or guesstimate, I guess. What's the furthest distance that they travel away and before they do come back? So they don't, they just try to come straight home. So if when we take our pigeons out to train them, they, we have this little suitcase that's for pigeons. You know, you put them in there and we take them out in the north, south, east, west direction, you know, just a little bit from the nest and then. A little bit farther. Once they get go five miles, they can go 500 or 1,000 miles. They can wow. go very far. But when we let them out the first time, it takes them a time to come home. They fly straight up in the air and start flying circles to find their way home. And so we'll often beat them home. But the second time, we never beat them home. No matter how, if it's a, you know, a long ways away or half a block, they can fly up to 100 miles an hour. And so they always beat us home. They want to come home. The longest distance a pigeon has ever flown was not my pigeon, but it was this pigeon that flew from France to Vietnam, home under, over unfamiliar territory, and it was 7,200 miles. Oh, my but, goodness. Um, yeah, and they, they, and, you know, when you're thinking about how they get home, we don't really know how, 
pigeons go home. Yeah. They need a map sense, right? They need a geographic orientation. And then they need like this bearing sense. They need this directional sense, right? So they think that they use some combination of the Earth's magnetic fields and landmarks and this internal clock to work out direction. And so it's got to be some sort of combination of that. But we've been studying pigeons, not me, but, you know, researchers have been, humans have been studying pigeons for a long time, and we still haven't quite worked out how they find their way home. Yeah. Well, it's so interesting because, you know, obviously uh, directly related would be just the incredible migration that all kinds of other birds undertake and how far some of those go. and again, it's it's it's. I think for many, it's mystifying and, until you just think, nope, that that that's what they do, and they're they are amazing at it. But it's not surprising anymore. Um, yeah, and it's it funny. It's funny that you. Yeah, you know, well, no, but that's still is shocking to me to see, like you know, snow geese come here every year, and it shocks me to think of how far they came and that they come back. I'm always afraid before they get here, and then when they get here, I just I'm like, oh, thank goodness you made it. Yeah, it just seems so perilous. Well, and also about your own uh, pigeons, just so interesting that the, the, it couldn't travel the, the, the learning curve any faster, apparently. It sounds like just the one time that they go back and kind of figure out where they're going, and then all the subsequent times they just make a beeline and it's just fast and, and, and taking the express line, basically. Yes, they do. Yeah. They come back really fast, and, and you, can't, you can't beat them. I mean, and it's exciting to wait for them to come home. Sometimes we'll split up, and some of us will wait for them to come home, and the others of us. In the olden days, they used to put pigeons on a train. So they would hand the conductor here in the United States, you'd hand the conductor your pigeons and say, you know, let them off at this stop. And the conductor would go down the line and let them off when he got out, and people would wait for the birds to come home. It's, you know, wow. it's fun. Interesting. And um, it's a neat pastime. For sure. All right, let's take another caller. Hi. Okay. Okay. Hi, I know you've been holding for a long time as well. You're on Talking Animal with Dr. Eleanor Spicer-Rice. I think it's me. Yeah, and you have been holding a long time, so thanks for holding. Thank you. Yes, I have two uh, questions, but I want to stick with the pigeons for now. I'm assuming that you have to have several owners of the same pigeon in order for that pigeon to carry a message, or many owners perhaps, because, I don't know, I I know this from cartoons, (laughs) not very scientific. But how do they carry the messages, you know, uh, back and forth? That's a really good question. That is a myth-debunking question. Are you ready? (laughs) They can only go home. So when they carry messages, like pigeons in World War II, they think that they trained, they had a pigeon service, United States Pigeon Service trained 50,000 birds to carry messages. So they would put the birds, they would train them to go to the base. And then they would carry pigeons out there in the field with them and tie messages to them. And they saved thousands of lives this way. But they could only go back to the bases. So they would, and my pigeons can only come to me. Yours can only go to you. But I can take your pigeon home with me and tie a message to it and send it back to you. I see. I'm so glad you asked that question because you see on TV and stuff, people are writing love letters to each other and sticking them to a pigeon's leg. And the pigeon's like, goes back and forth between people and you think gosh wouldn't that be nice and i didn't know until after i got pigeons that you couldn't do that they fascinating if you don't mind i'd like to change the subject to hornets because as much as i really <laughs> love i do love insects but as much as mm-hmm. i love them i had the unfortunate experience of stepping on a hornet's nest and sustaining Aww. seven very painful <gasps> bites yikes 
Is there a way mm. to detect? Because I went back to look to see if there was any notification that I missed that they would be there, but I saw mm. nothing. You know, the, the the terrible thing about hornets, and they're really cool and they're great predators, so just get that out of the way. They have a really great role ecologically. But you usually don't see, especially yellow jackets, which are, uh, you know, a wasp that lives underground, you don't see them until they sting you. Now, if you're very still and you watch, you can see the hole. You can see them going in and out of the hole. But they can sting repeatedly, and so they don't have to do, like, a honeybee. If you bother them, they'll bump you before they sting you because they can only sting you once. Um, hornets and yellow jackets and ground-nesting wasps like that don't have to worry about losing their lives to sting you, so they will sting you you know, more quickly than something like a honeybee would. I'm so sorry that happened to you. I yeah, that, that sounds um, awful. Yikes. Well, I just sat on the ice, and I could still breathe and had no anaphylactic <laughs> oh. uh, experience, so I just stayed yeah. home on the ice for a day, and the next day I was okay. I still needed a little ice the second day. Yeah. But they uh. are the only insect that I would fear because they're undetectable. But yeah. they were near yeah. water. Did Is you that see typical that Did they you go back out there? Yes, I went back out to look, and I could see nothing. But it was near water. Is it possible that they do require water and the woods? They drink water, but they don't usually nest near water because they can't move around very much. They usually nest where they are able to, you know, to resist flooding and stuff. Mm-hmm. So they would want to nest in a dry place. I, I don't know. I, they will nest in, like, logs, like hollow logs near water. No, uh, they were like um, above a drainage ditch. There was a drainage ditch below, and what happened was I was uh-huh. following a, um, an otter, actually. I had the luxury of oh, following an otter. Who wow. was killing, yes, it was he was killing um, uh, soft-shell turtles uh, wow. on the bank oh. of, a, of a little lake. The story and, uh, turned dark here. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry? He said the story turned dark. <laughs> Yeah, well, yes, I followed a gorgeous otter, and she went through under into a drainage ditch, and I knew that the ditch would be uh, draining out on the other side of the road. So I ran to the other side of the road, carefully, I thought, and walked along the drainage ditch, noticing all the bodies of the soft-shell turtles, you know, what was left of them. Mm-hmm. I guess that was this right. otter's favorite food. All right, caller. Well, we're so unfortunate we're nearing the end of our time. We've got to quickly get a couple more things in before we have to say goodbye. Thank you. God bless. Thank you. Thanks for Thank calling. You. I hope you feel better with your foot there. So, Dr. Spicer, I a couple quick things. Um, earlier, we got an email um, asking, essentially, uh, uh, what the smell is like with your collection of pigeons. My pigeons don't smell at all, but I clean out their coops a lot. Right. Okay. That takes us back to, yeah. Yeah, it'd be pretty bad if you left it, but most pigeon owners know to clean out their coops regularly. Right, so if you're zealous about it, there's really no no smell issue at all. No and, smell at all. And since we're all, we may just only have a moment or so left, um, I, I think the best place to find you online, if I'm not mistaken, is Instagram at, at, at eSpicerRice. But is there a website or anything else that we should alert people to that may want to follow up more on either pigeons? Uh, You're welcome insect. to read my writing on verdantword.com. Um, that's my my company's website, verdantword.com. And I think I have I think I have eSpicerRice.com. Let me see. Um, so you can let's see. I might have a website. No, we, could, we could break some news here today. Yeah. I might. I think I have a website. But I can't remember what it is. Yeah. Um, so yes, you can um, you can go to vernetword.com and see. Um, I think it might be 
it's spicerrice.com. Okay. <laughs> my website. That's good to know. about what books are coming out because we have some books coming out next year. Well, I figure we'll we'll get into that when the books are out because we'll, we'll, of course, invite you back on to talk about one or both Thank at that you. time. But um, well, we can just hopefully tease people by letting them know that they, you do have books coming out. And then when they're actually out, we will we will reconvene here. and um, You can see my old books. That's right. So, uh, okay, so I think we have just about reached the end of our time, uh, unfortunately, Dr. Spicer-Rice, but it's been great as always, and I, got, I really enjoyed our assortment of uh, called questions, and I'm sorry we didn't get to all the called questions and all the, um, the emails, but we got to a good sampling of them, and uh, I think we covered some good ground. So, Dr. Spicer-Rice, thank you so much again for joining us on Talking Animals. Thank you. I really appreciate it. I've had a great time. Thank uh, you. Okay, and we'll, we will... Uh, we will speak again in, 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 in 2023 about the new books, for sure. I hope so. All right, take care. Okay, thank you. In a moment, I'll speak with Karen Slifker about the Florida Wiener Dog Derby happening this Saturday, May 7th at Curtis Hickson Waterfront Park. We'll hear key details about the Wiener Dog and Wiener Wannabe races for an array of canine competitors and other activities planned for the day. When we speak with her in just a moment or two. Right now, we're going to step into the comedy corner with a piece about pigeons almost customized in the wake of our conversation with Dr. Spicer Rice. This is Hannibal Burris with Pigeons Get Murked in today's Comedy Corner on Talking Animals on WMNF. I have weird aspirations like I really want to kick a pigeon. Because pigeons walk around like they're untouchable. Like, you're not untouchable. I'll kick it out of you. You're not waiting for the bus because you can fly. But I can't kick pigeons because there's always people around. If I kick one, some lady will see, like, oh my gosh, that guy just kicked a pigeon in broad daylight. And she goes and tells her husband, honey, I saw this guy kick a pigeon in broad daylight. Her husband tells his boss, my wife said this guy kicked a pigeon in broad daylight. His boss knew somebody at the paper. They seen you know, front page of the Tribune, black dudes are kicking pigeons. There's been a flurry of pigeon kicking going on in the black community. It must be stopped at once. Save the pigeons. Must stop these PKBPs, pigeon kicking black people. Save the pigeons. Acronyms are always hilarious. I don't know why I want to kick a pigeon. I just figured to make my day better. Somehow I kick a pigeon in the morning, something bad happens that evening. I'm like, you know what, that happened. But I kicked a pigeon earlier. That shit was relaxing and invigorating. It's impossible to kick a pigeon, they're too quick. I tried different strategies. I tried to like side swipe, kick a pigeon and shit. I tried to punt one. I'll set up cardboard and act like I'm a break dancer, street performer. <laughs> and try to hit him with like a... But they don't buy it. They know all the gimmicks. It's, that's why I want to have the pigeon kicking Olympics. Where you get judged by the distance that you kick the pigeon, the number of fellas you kick off the pigeon, and the octave of the squawk. <laughs> when you kick the pigeon like a high pitch, like, ooh! That's a gold medal. You kick out of that pigeon, you're a goddamn warrior. You deserve your own statue in a park like, yeah. 
That was a piece called Pigeons Get Murked in today's Comedy Corner from Hannibal Burris, taken from his album, My Name is Hannibal. Now it's time to speak with Karen Slifker about the Florida Wiener Dog Derby convening this Saturday, May 7th at Curtis Hicks and Waterfront Park. It might sound fountain fun and nutty, which it truly is, but it also, as we'll note out here, there's an important fundraising element as well. This is Karen Slifker on Talking Animals on WMNF. Good morning, Karen. Good morning. How are you? Great. Thanks for joining us on Talking Animals. Yes. So before we address some of the details of the Saturday's event, let's just discuss briefly the, uh, the, the Florida Wiener Dog Derby more generally. For instance, tell me about the history of the event. How did it begin? Oh, it began approximately in 2010, and it was started by a friend of mine, Doug Daly. And he originally lived in Texas and moved to Florida and had a little wiener dog named Tex that did a lot of races in, in um, Texas, and he did very well. So he started the races in the North Fort Myers. And then in 2015, I took it over after racing my dog, and he you know, graciously gave it to me, and we moved it to the Central Florida area, and we've been running ever since then. Only missed 2020. Wow, that's great. So yeah. uh, has, it, has it changed much or, uh, over, the, over those ensuing years? Um, it's changed a little bit when I took it over in 2015 because I, I did participate in the races first. We just noticed so many people would show up and they would bring dogs, but their dogs were not really into racing. So I like to attend different dog events. So I decided to incorporate some fun doggy games and we brought the costume contest into it. And then also we have a kissing contest, a tail wagging contest, a um, bad to the bone, which is an obedience contest. And then we also incorporated speed traps which is where the dogs just run by themselves and we record their speed with a speed gun. And then we have three different categories, heavyweight, featherweight, and middleweight. Wow. Well, that's great. I mean, when you're testing the speed of uh, running dachshunds, I think that's, uh, that's, that's some high-level technology there. That's great. So, <laughs> yeah, we just use a baseball gun. Yeah, you know. no, that, that's great. Well, before we go any further, just so we don't run out of time without hitting those, let's be sure to hit the key details. So, again, as we've noted, it's this Saturday, May 7th. It's at yep. Curtis Hicks and Waterfront Park. It, it starts, I believe, at 10 a.m.? Yes, it does. That's when we start the costume contest, and then we'll roll right into the races. And, and But it's a pretty full day of events, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, yes. We start with Super Seniors, Frosty Flyers, Chariots of Fire, which is our wheelie dog race. And then we have our Blind Deaf race. We also have our Wiener Wannabes, which is small mixed breed and all breed dogs. And we call them that because every dog, as we say, wants to be a wiener dog. Yeah. <laughs> well, what, what, what's the cutoff point? Like, I mean, could, could, could a Labrador retriever say, well, I kind of want to be a, a dachshund <laughs> myself, so can I enter? Well, I mean, we do small breed. 35 pounds just because I okay. think a Labrador would fit into our dog gate. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. Perfect contender for speed traps in our heavyweight category. Okay, so there's something for, for all dogs, it sounds like. Absolutely. All breeds, all dogs. And even, you know, if somebody wants to try their cat, they're welcome to try a cat. <laughs> How often has that happened over the years? One time we did have a piggy race with us, and that was fun. Oh, good. I bet they did well. Yes, the little piggy did. I, I wish I could remember the pig's name. It was so many years ago. It was a cute little pot belly pig. But yeah. yeah. So how many, how many dogs of various kinds, wannabes or real McCoys, do you expect at this Saturday's event? We get approximately 300. Oh, my goodness. Participating. Wow. We already have approximately 150 signed up to race and or compete in our fun contest. And 
usually we get a lot of walk-ups the day of that want to compete in the contest. The races are pretty full. We've already closed a couple categories. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, with that in mind, is there a website and or social media pages that that folks could go to to either find out more about the day or just, you know, see more about the races in the meantime? Yeah, we're at www.floridawienerdogderby.com and also on Facebook, Florida Wiener Dog Derby and Instagram, we're at speed underscore weenies. Great. Okay, cool. Well, this sounds like it's going to be a total blast, and obviously you guys have been doing it long enough where you've got it, got it down to a uh, wiener dog science, it sounds like. So oh, yeah. uh, that's it's great. The planet. <laughs> All right. Well, any, any last tidbit we should know about just to further entice? This already sounds super fun and exciting. Anything else that we haven't touched on that we should? Um, we are 100% volunteer orientated. We don't take any fees or anything. All of the proceeds go to our two partner rescues this year, which is Skyway Docks and Rescue and Dare Docks and Adoption Rescue and Education. That's great. So all the fun and, and madness and, and, and uh, racing and uh, costume contests and all that stuff all ultimately is, uh, serves as a fundraiser for those two organizations. Absolutely, and our raffle and our art auction as well. That's great. All right, well, gosh, this sounds really fun. Karen, thanks for joining us on Talking Animals, and good luck with uh, Saturday's Derby. All right, thank you so much. Thank you. Coming up on WNF, the music kicks back in with Scott Elliott from noon to 3 p.m., a glorious three hours of music, followed by Robin Hooper with yet another three hours of music, and we just keep the music coming as we roll into our block of Latin programming and beyond. Meanwhile, on this show at the moment is the prize for Name That Animal Tune. I'll be offering something fabulous from the Talking Animals Vault to the first person who calls 813-239-9663 and correctly identifies this animal song. It's Name That Animal Tune on Talking Animals on WMNF. If you can name that animal, Tim, we'll probably take your guests off the air. Chances are, because we have just about reached the end of this week's edition of Talking Animals on WMNF Tampa. I invite you to join me next Wednesday when we'll uh, offer yet another edition of Talking Animals. Can't guarantee it'll be about pigeons and wiener dogs. Probably not, in fact, but hopefully it'll be something interesting and illuminating and maybe fun as well. Invite you to tune in for that. also invite you to visit TalkingAnimals.net for audio archives of every show we've ever broadcast. Apple Podcasts are available there too, as well as other podcast platforms. There are also links to our Facebook page, Instagram page, Twitter feed, and more. Please like us on Facebook, follow us on uh, Twitter and Instagram. You can also subscribe to our newsletter to find out about our guests a couple of days beforehand and other news from the Talking Animals world. That's all found at TalkingAnimals.net. I'm Duncan Strauss. Thanks very much for listening. Have a good week. Be kind to animals. Be kind to others. Be kind to yourself. This is Talking Animals on WMNF, Tampa, Brandon, Clearwater, Largo, Wikiwachi, and beyond. Scott Elliott is up next after NPR News headlines. And you know what? Let's just take a wild shot. Let's take one of our guesses 
on the air. Hi, you're on the air. If you can name that animal tune. What's that? What's that? It's the elephant walk, isn't it? Oh, geez, wrong, wrong artist, wrong animal tune. But I know what I know what you had in mind. So I'm sorry, that's not quite right. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Hi, you're on Talking Animals. Can you quickly name that animal tune? You're live on the air. The lonely bull. Oh, so close, but not quite right either. At least it's the right artist. All right, this is Talking Animals on WMNF NPR 